Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Allison Bergen, CEO of footwear brand Aerosols, which launched in the late 80s. Allison joined the brand in 2018 with a goal of modernizing its approach to design and business. I wanted to ask Allison about the progress to date and how the last two years have altered her grand plans for the brand. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So I know your background. Let's talk about you first. You came from lead merchandising roles at at the likes of Louis Vuitton and DVF. What attracted you to this aerosols 80s brand that I've seen evolution so far since you've been there? But um, yeah, what, what drove you there? Um, it was definitely not a part of my plan. I had a, I've had a pretty sort of, uh, my career has not gone in a straight line. You know, I started out in finance and then worked in a bunch of different product categories and price points and part of the market. And I don't, I don't think ever through that process, I thought I would end up, um, in a comfort footwear brand. (laughs) And, um, I think they offered me the job twice before I accepted it because I had to get over a little bit of my own snobbery, to be honest. I was like, oh, I don't know. What am I doing with this? This is very new to me. Um, But what really attracted me to it was the original story um, about the founder, Jules Snyder, and how and why he founded the brand really resonated with me. And it felt like it was equally relevant um, today as it was sort of revolutionary back in the late 80s when he founded it. And it's a great story. I grew up loving, you know, the movie Baby Boom. And I think of, you know, the women running around the streets in their suits with the, you know, puffy white sneakers on while they were, you know, changing um, under their desks. And and that's really the vision of what he saw and why he um, created aerosols, because he thought, you know, women shouldn't have to sacrifice um, comfort for style or vice versa. And I thought, well, of course, that's so relevant today, but why do these shoes have to look the way they look? Can't they look a little better? And, and so, you know, I was like, this is a great, this is a great brand. I love this story. And I started to, you know, just feel really clear about what I wanted to do with it from a, um, you know, style perspective. And once I felt clear, I thought I, you know, I can do this. This is a gem. This is just a sort of, uh, a brand that's been frozen in like a glacier for for a while, and we got to you know melt it and and just kind of reposition it a bit, and it's still a great story. Yes, I love that you mentioned Baby Boom. <laughs> oh, Let's best. be real, <laughs> the best. Well, first order of business, you you are hired on 2018. Uh, how do you, I guess, write the ship, change its perception? Um, yeah, did did some hiring take place at that time? Well, you know, I, pretty much we had to change every facet of the business. It was sort of kind of taking a Titanic and trying to, you know, change the course. It doesn't happen by just, you know, hitting one button. You're really um, repositioning and realigning so many facets of the business. Um, the team, I knew I couldn't or didn't want to alter necessarily immediately because it takes time to get to know people and to set a direction and figure out who and what you need um, and who's interested and, and ripe for the challenge of going through such change because we knew that pretty much there was almost every facet of the business, whether it was distribution, product, branding, um, team structure, all of those things were going to change in order to put this brand into relevancy and a, and a healthy future from a profitability perspective. Um, so it was 
not an immediate change on the personnel front, but once the strategy became clear, we were going up market, we were going to focus on, you know, changing our distribution to be more um, aligned with the Nordstrom's of the world as opposed to the JCPenney's, um, you know, and starting to think through, you know, backing, you know, into then what does the product look like? Who's the right team to create, you know, design, produce, market, um, that product. And we have a few people that have stayed with us, you know, from, from that chapter, but mostly almost the entire team, um, changed either, you know, at, at my direction or mutual agreement that it wasn't necessarily a great fit, um, for one reason or another go forward. Um, and ultimately we just really, I think one of the key things that worked for us was a smaller team, you know, that it really, um, has been when you're, I think, going through so much change, working with a, a tighter group where everyone can be as coordinated as possible is is actually far more manageable um, and harder to screw up. It's always easy to screw up, but it's one of the, I think, easiest ways to create um, roadblocks or encounter roadblocks on your way to achieving whatever your goals are in business is just, you know, failed communication. And of course, the more people you have, the tougher it is to, to actually manage that um, well. So uh, I think those were the key sort of elements from the team perspective. Yes. Well, tell me about the the comfort, um, I guess, label or focus for the brand. I think of it as comfortable shoes. What what were the roadblocks or was it just like looking at at comfort shoes in, in and nar- with a narrow focus uh, prior to you coming on board? Um, what did you bring in terms of of design and I guess knowledge of capabilities of what you could do with a shoe and keep it comfortable, I guess. Was that a fine balance there? Um, you know, I think one of the great things and, and and why the brand was, you know, acquired by its current owners is that we inherited an amazing um sort of archive of technologies, whether it's our diamond soles or the padding in the footwear or our, you know, stitch and turn technology, which is just sort of the shoes you can literally bend in half, you know, and throw in, you know, ballerina flat, you can literally bend in half. Um, those were an amazing toolkit. So we had all of the, I think, tools. We're always looking to expand and add innovation in, in, in the comfort technology that we offer. But we inherited an incredible toolkit that really just, I think, needed to be designed aesthetically for um, with, with a fresher appeal, with a, a more universal appeal. Um, the product there's still styles today that we that were bestsellers when I um, joined the brand. You know, it was just that um, it's few and far between. So we just needed to sort of put a different um, style onto some great technologies. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think sort of one of our challenges was being labeled as, you know, comfort. Um, there's sort of two ways to say comfort footwear. There's the sort of consumer the way I might talk about it with my friends, comfortable shoes, comfortable, you know, but then there's the industry comfort footwear, which is um, a strong label. It means a certain buyer handles you in each department store and you are, you know, really, I think, pegged against a very limiting um, aesthetic. And one of our goals was to um, continue to service that end customer, but break out of that confining label as a comfort footwear brand, which implies that you have to look comfortable, you know, first, and then maybe be stylish. We just wanted to look good and of course be comfortable. Yeah. Well, as brands, whether they're pivoting or, or expanding to sneakers in the name of comfort, um, everybody's, I guess, in the last two years, seeing the value of, of 
offering up a comfortable option. Um, is this impacting your your approach, the the crowding of the space in terms of comfort wear? No, I mean, I think for us, just not getting too crazy about the sneaker trend was critical. We we do offer sneakers. They're they're cute. They're not a core business for us. And I think um, we're happy to let others really own that space. I think where we're really focusing on is delivering comfort in, in the balance of footwear. Um, and the more people are focused on comfort, the it's, I think, better for aerosols. A, a, I screw up every saying. It'll, it'll be like laughing stock, whatever, but the rising tide, <laughs> lifting all boats. I know there's something yeah. in there. So the more visibility there is on comfort, I, I think we, we celebrate that. Um, and, and our, you know, the brands that we share space with, I think it's good for everybody. Yeah. Has your customer since 2018, uh, that customer that was there, um, stayed on with you? Is it about attracting a more fashion forward, maybe a younger customer? Uh, what's happening in, in the consumer, the customer that you're, you're serving now? Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, we, we needed to dig ourselves out of a rut of, of having a customer. One of the first things that I actually had to, the first steps that, that I had to go through as part of my diagnostic of the business to help set a, an appropriate strategy for go forward was to understand our customer base. Um, and, you know, through that exploration, I think one of the real challenges we had was while it's great to inherit, you know, a brand with awareness and a customer base, certainly, um, we all know it's very expensive to acquire new customers today. It, what the challenge we had was that um, the, this was a customer that was, really was working under the expectation um, in many in many cases that they should be able to buy aerosols for 60% off consistently. And so we had to have the honest conversation and it's not one that you have at many brands, but I was very, it was very important to me to acknowledge it, recognize it, be honest about it, and then work around it, which was, we're going to make changes. We're going to start trading on emotion, desirability. We're going to improve, you know, quality, whether that's, you know, through, you know, a, a bit more of a, of a, a current approach to the fashion or using some finer materials, but primarily accepting that there would be a significant part of our customer base that would not travel with us into that next chapter. Um, we're always looking to, I would hate to lose a customer just because I, I did, I threw the baby out with the bathwater and I, you know, had some styles that I needlessly didn't respect that have universal appeal and could come with us to the future, like a classic loafer. So we'd love to keep that customer, but, but we knew that, you know, for our business to be healthy and profitable. And as a reminder, aerosols was acquired out of bankruptcy. It was not working. It was a fact. It was yes. not working the way it was being done. So, so we knew that that was sort of in dis not in dispute, but we really, you know, needed, um, to, to focus our effort on a high quality customer that we could have a fair relationship with. I, you know, I, I, the cost of production, we all know, is only going up. Um, and so there was just no workaround. So that was really the key shift. So we were prepared. Um, and we did lose, you know, a certain certain customers through that process. Well, acquiring new customers, you mentioned the high cost of it all. Uh, what was your approach to getting the word out? I I feel like I remember back in the day, there were aerosols, maybe mailers or catalogs. And yeah. I don't know if that, that still applies. Yeah, it was. I mean, well, it was a big shift because I think that was one of our biggest challenges is the the way historically that the the word got out, as you said, um, for aerosols was a. It was a catalog business. Um, so when I joined, the offices were still in um, Edison, New Jersey, and 
was sort of this um, cemetery of, a, of an office in a sense because it was this huge call center because it was such a big catalog business. And really, you know, that that's a very difficult way to run a business when the customer, you, you print all these expensive catalogs, the customer then picks up the phone, calls you, you, you know, you're, you're paying a customer service rep to spend five minutes, you know, transacting every sale. So that was not, but we did dabble with it, you know, because catalogs, I think it's been interesting. At the time when I joined, certain brands were having success with mailers, like, you know, Warby was, you know, playing in that space for a while. And so we were, I was interested in it and I would have loved for it to work. But after, you know, trying a couple of catalogs and really, you know, I think more accurately tracking performance, it just didn't, it did not work for us. Um, We also, Aerosols historically had, almost 200 stores. And and through the modern chapter, um, the stores were all closed. So we didn't have that channel. So we were really focusing online. Um, and so, you know, the, the key point there was to, um, you know, really invest in in our e-commerce business um, and our and our dropship business with our wholesale partners um, and hire the right talent, make the right systems changes, um, and invest in our our owned channels and develop a presence on social because aerosols really was didn't really exist in that in that um, in that space. So there was a lot of low hanging fruit, but there was a lot of work to be done in some senses. Well, tell me who was needed to I guess um, get your e commerce site up to speed, or what was needed in terms of features, bells and whistles. Um, was it just basically your basic site prior? Um, well, we needed a couple things. I mean, I think. We needed a cultural shift, honestly, on the team. When I joined Aerosols, one of the things that I found really valuable from my experience in luxury, but also so alarming when I had that perspective and then joined Aerosols was going out to those offices. Um, and just there wasn't, there was, you didn't see footwear. You didn't see, there was no like vibe for lack of a better word, but it didn't feel like we lived and breathed, you know, a brand and that product was central and we were really underinvested in, I think, brand builders, whether it was, you know, graphic design um, or copyright or other forms of, you know, bringing our brand to life outside of the footwear. So we had to certainly build a team, I think, from scratch there and a team that really understood how to do that well online. So that was really critical. And for me, one of my you know, most important partners um, and someone who deserves a ton of credit for what we've been able to do is is our creative director, Mirko Scotia. And he oversees, you know, he's a shoe designer. He grew up in the industry. He's Italian. He has experience in all different price points and a lot of experience in luxury. And and what the way we decided to set up his team together was for him to have responsibility not on, only over product design, but also um, graphic design so that all facets of, you know, the brand representation were speaking the same language. So to have a collection and then that articulation um, come to life, I think that was a real, that gave us the language with which then other individuals could really run with it, whether it was, you know, our head of e-commerce and, and digital marketing or otherwise. Um, so that was that was certainly pinnacle to, to, you know, some of our efforts to do that. And then lastly, on the technical side, I actually think it's been a lot, I, I feel like we're at an interesting place where the, the customer just wants a very seamless um, experience. It, it's somewhat commoditized now. Um, and I don't think that our business really benefits from too many bells and whistles. You know, we've added some, you know, um, payments and installments and, you know, a few things like that. But it's it was it was more about getting off of a very old, clunky, expensive 
system, um, I think we were on Oracle, that just didn't let us take advantage of any of the, um, very proud to say we're on Shopify. It's a fantastic, um, it's a fantastic platform. And the, you know, much like apps on the iPhone, just the, the pace with which um, as a business owner, you can add and test apps because of the, you know, endless options you have with low cost to integrate Shopify friendly apps into the platform is just tremendous. So, you know, I think the ability to experiment is is one of the things that Shopify was able to provide for us, which has been tremendous. But I think what we've found is really what drives performance is just simple, clean, straightforward, and great product. <laughs> yes. Well, tell me about the shift in, I guess, customer service from that room of, of people on the phone to what's happening now. Yeah. I think, again, like going back to that very early conversation that I had with myself and and, and brought others into, which was, you know, we're making decisions for the long haul and our, we might have customers that are going to absolutely lose their minds and call and scream at us because they can't call and scream at us anymore. They're not getting their catalog or they can't find the store. And that, you know, we have to be polite. We respect that. But this is, you know, we can provide better service um, if we're shifting, you know, into more digital channels. So we exited, you know, phone service really, which was kind of bold at the time um, and really just shifted to to email and, and chat and, and moved everything, um, moved everything online, which made sense. That's where the business was. We were moving away from catalog. We were moving away from um, at, at the time brick and mortar. So it, it just made sense. But it was I think it was very scary for the team that had been there for a long time because, I mean, the, the culture of the call center was stronger than the culture of the product. If I can explain that to you, like it, it, it was a whole, it was a thing and it was, mis- I mean, I had never experienced anything like it. Um, but you know, in time, everyone adjusted. And I think it's just, it's a far, we, we can deliver far better service. Um, and you know, we're always, this was a distressed company. This was a company. It's something I have to acknowledge is this was a company coming out of financial distress. So we had to think about, excellence, but always, you know, always managing to a budget. Everybody has to. I don't think it's something we all talk about. You know, we want to act like that's not a concern. Um, But of course it was. So I think, you know, given our goals from a profitability perspective, the best way we could deliver excellence was to move to more efficient ways of communicating digitally. For sure. Well, you mentioned Mirko, who I know, and I forgot the Mirko connection with you. Anyway, fabulous. Yes. (laughs) Um, He's a star. Yes. So fabulous. Um, tell me about, gosh, the approach to creative and like was your your um, customer prior to, to you joining even like active and, and engaging with the brand on, on Instagram or on social platforms? Uh, was that a, a big shift to you? You have a great uh, Instagram now. We do. It was, you know, it was a big shift. It was, uh, it's been a great performer for us both, you know, organically and and as a paid channel up until this summer where I think we're all felt with the iOS updates. It was, it's just been super challenging um, to kind of re-optimize that business given the lack of our our diminished ability to target, you know, working around security rules. Um, But, you know, a challenge is, we're used to challenges. Nothing is, <laughs> nothing this year is as we thought, nor was it last year. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the most critical thing was um, our, our success there and, and what felt, our ability to move quickly was 
um, you know, it required about a year of patience because as, as those of you in the know know, you know, to design a shoe. And by the time you conceptual, the gap between when you conceptualize a shoe and it's actually in the hands of a shopper or on someone's foot is, is over a year. So we had to be very patient um, waiting for that new product to, to deliver. But when it did, the fact that he was there with his amazing team, small but extremely mighty, extremely hardworking to you know, build the lifestyle imagery around it, to do the photo shoots, to put together all of the emails and copies and ads. And um, you know, when we do dabble in you know, mailers or things like that, like the language was so instantly clear. I felt so, if I can pad myself on the back for anything, it's, it's only related to um, through luck or any other fortune, um, having a fantastic team that is so well coordinated and you know, I was so aware. I think that I've, you know, brands are living, breathing things. So every brand I've been at, whether it's, you know, a huge public company um, or smaller contemporary brands, and the biggest challenge is brands are, they're like plants. They need water, they grow, they change every day. And if you don't keep changing them, you know, proactively to evolve with times and with your customers changing sentiments, then you end up, um, you know, the business suffers. And then you have an even broader gap to fill to kind of reconnect, re-anchor to, to the to a relevant place. And you know, through that process, you know, I've seen it so many companies just different, you know, arms not speaking to each other, you know, PR not really on the same page as where the product team is trying to move. And so I was really sensitive to to this this concept of coordination, of making sure that that everything we did, if we're if we're going digital, if we're going after you know a, a different type of customer, then how does that you know relay across everything we do? And I think um, our our structure is a big part of that. So I think that team's structure and way of working um, was really critical in, in terms of keeping all of that in sync. Right on. Well, as you're overhauling product and and putting style more at the forefront um, and also looking to cater to this modern consumer, what other, I guess, values were you looking to um, speak to, whether that be, be sustainability or, or you have this time, yeah, chance to rewrite everything? What was um, prioritized? Um, in terms of values that our customer, like the values that yeah, we wanted to connect with our customer on? In terms of, yeah, in terms of product specifically, I guess, what was prioritized as you, maybe you shifted um, manufacturers or supply chain, um, but yeah, as you're updating the product, um, where did you go other than style, I guess? Uh, well, I think one of the first kind of campaigns that we ran was called show up. It was sort of hashtag show up. And I think that that was sort of a value that we have as a brand. I'll elaborate a little bit that we wanted to make sure, you know, translated into the product. Um, Aerosols is a brand that helps you show up, whether it's um, to work, to pick up your children, to meet your girlfriends, to go contribute to any facet of, of your life or someone else's. We wanted to make product that, um, helps you show up. And, and that means also being present. So you can look good, feel good, um, and not be distracted by, you know, your, your feet hurting or that you're not dressed appropriately. And Aristotle's, you know, at full price, it is not cheap. It's an investment for a lot of people. So making sure that, um, that we were creating product that would be the shoe that she just kept reaching back into her closet for, because it was just so versatile and so, 
so useful in a sense. Um, and it allowed her to show up over and over again. I mean, that's the best way to market is to just become top of mind. And I think you only, you earn that through, in our case, just through hard work and, and it requires some patience. Um, so, you know, the second thing was what I'm, I'm managing a business that again, you know, has equal goals of growth and, and modernization in a lot of capacities, but, but not without sacrificing, you know, profit, we had to manage always to a budget. And, and the thing that I learned, because um, we didn't talk about my background, but I've spent a lot more time in apparel than, than shoes. And shoes are fascinating. Um, you can nerd out on, on shoe manufacturing. But there, <laughs> it's when you make a shoe, what I didn't know, um, and now I know all too well, is you're, you're first really building machinery to make a shoe. So it's very expensive to make one new shoe. It's very different from making a shirt where a pattern maker can cut out a pattern and then you sew it and da, da, da. You are investing in building machines to make every single shoe. So you better love it when you think about designing a new shoe. So one of the things we really focused on in terms of our ability to be excellent, to provide superior quality at price points that we didn't really want to increase, we have to be super efficient. So we had to be so focused in our collection um, we had to really build a core. We really, when you build footwear to do it well, you really want to live with those styles for many seasons. It's very different from a very, you know, in and out you know, apparel or or other categories. And so we had to be so thoughtful about thinking through what she really needs, what she really going to wear, you know, four out of five days. And that really changed things. You know, we stopped, We we had to walk away from certain things. We we had to say to each other, we don't have to be in every single category. We might not do stilettos heels anymore. Fortunately, a lot of these decisions were pre-COVID and really put us into a far more um, relevant assortment. Like we we were, it was fortuitous in that sense. Um, but we had to spend a lot of time saying no to things, great ideas, things that would have been beautiful, but just weren't really prudently building um, essentials, you know, and so it was both a an efficiency um, and brand building exercise, but also a relevancy um, and hopefully something that would resonate with our with our customers. Um, and certainly we had to rework our factory base to to be aligned with with those goals and our level of excellence. And, you know, you know, Mirko, he doesn't mess around. He, he's an Italian, he grew up in the industry. Um, and so he knows quality and he's, he's as talented. And, and I have, a, I, I, he is so talented and I feel like there's 10 other people I want to, you know, mention that, that in their own departments that, that are similarly talented. Um, but, you know, we did, we absolutely relooked at our supply chain to make sure we had the right factories that could deliver on our rising expectations. Amazing. Well, now that those are set up, well, let's talk about the last two years. Uh, the first two years after you joined the company, uh, 2020 hit. Um, how did that really impact your trajectory? I mean, was it just like, hold the phone, let's slow everything down? Or uh, yeah, how did it impact your plans? Oh, God. Yeah. How, how didn't I it? Mean, I mean, biggest how, question of the year. Go ahead. How didn't it? Um, <laughs> well, I guess the first thing that we did was um, in a somewhat devastating fashion, we had to just, you know, pause all future order production. Um, we had to, you know, business literally stopped overnight in footwear. I mean, it was unbelievable. We're, we're fortunate in the sense that we don't we don't have our own stores now and our wholesale business does over penetrate online so as far as you can be fortunate i suppose that was better for us so business continued but you know at a fraction of where it it had been and where he, we had projected it 
We had very large um, partners in, in, you know, wholesale partners cancel orders that we had funded, paid for, they canceled them with no, you know, no, uh, you know, no change in sight, no future date when they would accept. That was hard. Um, our customer was not shopping. She was just trying to get through the day and keep her family safe. Um, so everything was extremely tight. We had to focus on cash management. Like we had to figure out, you know, how to keep the company afloat. And that's, again, I'm probably more honest than a lot of people are, but we had to make some really difficult decisions about whether it was headcount or other elements of our budget to really buckle down for what would be a very difficult time um, to keep the business afloat and get through just to the other side of things. And, and one of the things that we did was, um, and everyone, honestly, whether it was, you know, people we owed money or people that owed us money, I think there was a tremendous effort to, to be collaborative. I think it was, um, it was a, a great bonding experience. And in a, in a situation like that, you know, we were all trying to do our best to help each other out how we could. Uh, but we basically, you know, what motivated us was we could not afford to bring in a new shoe until we sold what we had. And we wanted to see our new collection. I, I think Mirko's first collection had just started to dribble out. It really didn't get a shot. And so we were, you know, hustling and, and the sales and merchandising team um, led by Heidi Speranza did an amazing job to, um, to take on more responsibility to in places like a, a Macy's where, you know, we, we've been into business together a long time, but our, you know, aerosols were really a digital first business. And they also went through terrible, this is just one example, but they went through a lot of, um, I think, you know, team reductions and layoffs. And so they were understaffed on their online business, which was performing well because all of that store business was funneled online. So we partnered with them extremely closely. We became almost more like directive of our business, giving them recommendations, do this, do that. They were out of desperation or insanity, you know, willing to partner with us in that way. And it really fundamentally changed our business, I think, um, throughout that year where, you know, we're just delivering a better experience and product to that customer because of how we changed how we work together out of almost a lack of resources, honestly, at the time. Um, so, so that was really it. And we, we were more promotional than we wanted to be. You know, everybody had to be on sale. Um, I don't think the customer necessarily cared where is she going with her <laughs> loads of sale product with no social life or, or career ability to leave the house, but we got through it and, and we brought in our next collection. It was so, it was so sweet. Um, in a sense, when we actually got to bring in our next collection very late that fall. I mean, I think we brought in no new product until October of that fall. But it meant so much. It we had taken for granted, you know, the ability to always do that. And so we really the team really did it. The team really earned the right to bring in that collection. Um, and so it was it was amazing. Uh, it was it was a nice reward. That is amazing. Talk to me about those wholesale partnerships. What retailers make sense for you now? Uh, is it what what's the balance, I guess, of a traditional wholesale model versus uh, drop ship and what's happening there? Um, yeah. So listen, we work in a bunch of different com capacities with different, uh, partners, um, depending on our objectives and theirs. Um, I think there's a healthy mix, you know, the world is so vol volatile. All I can say is, you know, without a crystal ball, I think having, 
having a presence in a couple different models has proven to be really helpful, whether it's, you know, having a really strong brick and mortar strategy directly or through your wholesale partnership, um, whether it's selling online through your, in a more traditional wholesale partnership or um, working in a, in a drop ship model. And I think for us to have, you know, a mix um, of all three has been tremendously helpful. Um, you know, the pros and cons of drop ship, <laughs> it's, you can control your inventory and you can really maximize inventory flexibility. You can just decide as the business, you're going to sell it who sell it where it sells first, whether that's aerosols.com or if it's through a partner. And I think, um, you know, the, the alternative to that is you own the inventory risk. Nobody's, you know, in wholesale, you, you sell a pack of shoes, they're out the door and they're not coming back. That's, that's also a beautiful thing, but it's a nice balance because I think what we're all seeking as business leaders is, you know, ways to maximize inventory more efficiently, whether it's reducing lead times so that you can sit on less inventory um, or um, share inventory almost in a true omni, like a true, true omni strategy. And so we work in in multiple ways. um, And I think that's served us really well because we've benefited from the ability to kind of shift in and out of them as the times are changing and and things are are wacky. and, you know, for us kind of exiting some of the bottom tier partners and moving into a Nordstrom, I mean, Nordstrom's been tremendous. I, we got, we got in, I think it was my second year, almost my second year anniversary. They, we um, launched online with them that first COVID fall. So it was a tremendous achievement um, to, to launch there. And I think that it's a great fit for their customer. I think it's great value. We're really, really pleased with that. And again, I think that was a, you know, pre-COVID, a lot of our, you know, our strategies sort of set us up to survive better than others fortuitously. I think, you know, a lot of the the bottom tier department stores got hit a lot harder. Many went bankrupt. Um, and so we didn't have that risk. Um, we had really, I think, put ourselves in a, in a healthier place um, as a result of, you know, having deeper partnerships with the right partners in the right, in the right sort of uh, customer base. What are your ambitions for direct sales and and are stores in the cards for the future or you're you're over that? (laughs) No, I'm not over it. I would love to get back into stores. That's definitely something we want to do. We hear from our customers all the time that that's that's the number one feedback. Like where what happened to the stores? When can I get back into stores? Um, and footwear, it's fit is so important. I think it's a very engaging category. Love stores just would do it very differently, with very different footprint, not as many stores, smaller stores, very omni-focused stores. Um, and, and I think just in the right locations and, and have realistic expectations about how many stores we could and should have. But I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in retail. I'm a big believer, I think, especially with it, you know, if things keep trending the way they're trending online, no one can afford to be online. <laughs> um, it's it's right expensive. On. It's gotten very expensive, both for for you know shipping and and the cost of advertising is not what it used to be. So um, I'm very interested in getting back into stores. Well, I haven't heard uh, prior to you that that aerosols had done any uh, sort of collaboration. I'm so intrigued by this Laura Ashley collab and how you really tapped into this. Uh, cottage core trend that's so buzzy and so hot among all age or younger age groups as well. Um, tell me about the strategy there. Yeah, I mean, we don't, um, 
there's one of the best things about about our souls and the way that our owners partner with us. You know, we have a great degree of freedom for for when and how we we dabble in these kinds of initiatives creatively. I didn't have really a mandate to to do a collaboration, but I ended up meeting the team at Laura Ashley, and they are so kind and easy and on brand. Um, and I felt a great connection with them as as people because I think Aerosols is a very human brand. It's, you know, hopefully a very approachable. It's um, it, it's certainly, I think, a humble brand in a lot of ways. And, and I found that team to be the same. And I personally just had, um, have a very strong connection to Laura Ashley. I grew up in a Laura Ashley bedroom. I um, I remember it as really the first brand I understood as brand, if that makes sense. Like, I guess that's a, that's luxury in a sense. And I wanted, I desired, you know, the matching bedspread and then the tissue box and then the wallpaper and all these things. And I had really fun memories of it. And, and it just felt right from a trend perspective. And so, um, you know, my team really agreed and, and uh, Mirko was excited. And they just had a, such a clear vision from day one of what the collection could look like. Um, so it was a great, it was a great, really successful project and, um, loved working with them and I'm really proud of the product and, um, I'd love to see them do more. I mean, I'm happy to see them back out in the space because it's such a tremendous brand and the time is so good for them. Yes. Did that work to attract a different customer or somebody that's maybe the, the Hill House customer, somebody who's really, um, going, going all in on cottage court? It did. You know, I think, um, I think that, you know, our goals were always, you know, for, for a collection like that to come in and sell out, not necessarily change the top line of your business, but just be another sort of feather in your cap of different ways that you surprise your, your customer and can engage in with new press outlets and, and new customers. So I, you know, and having Harling Ross, um, formerly of Man Repeller sort of help us with that and help bring it to her audiences um, and curate the cottage, like vintage shop with us, um, was really successful. It met all of our goals. And, um, I think, I think it was, you know, a, a total win for both sides. Amazing. Well, tell me about holiday, uh, your expectations over the next month. Um, did you take part in, in Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Uh, what was new this year in terms of your approach? Um, oh gosh. Well, I think one thing that we've really noted this year is that, promotion, like traditional promotional periods have become less impactful um, in the sense that it's almost like our sales patterns are a little bit more smoothed out. I think that's been a consistent trend post-COVID and I like it. I think it's a very healthy um, change in our industry in the sense that Americans, I think, are starting to shop a bit more like Europeans, you know, more thoughtful purchases, whether that's driven by you know, a fatigue of seeing so many wasted dollars and, you know, space taken up in their closet of things that they bought on sale that just they didn't even want. They bought it because it was on sale. Or if it's or if it's more driven by, uh, you know, one's desires to live more sustainably and produce or participate in a less wasteful economy, um, I think it's driving healthier purchases, you know. So we're really finding that we're not necessarily, you know, driving as much volume on the big sale days as we used to, but we're driving more smooth, healthy 
you know, single unit sales at full price. And so we were prepared for that. We planned it. Um, we outperformed tremendously over the week. I don't even know what to call it anymore. It's not Black Friday. It's not Cyber Monday. It's a whole week of stuff that happens earlier and earlier. But over that period, we were very happy with the results. Um, and I was a little nervous, to be honest. Um, but we definitely, you know, I think had had a year of knowledge to how to, you know, plan the business a little bit smarter. Um, and um, I think this year things are, I think we're, I, I Based on the conversations I've had with others, I think that's pretty consistent. Um, and one of the good things to that is, is just there's not this huge fall off then after the Black Friday period. You know, we're delivering newness every week, you know, new boots, new. It's a much smoother delivery process for us out of necessity and strategically. Um, so I think that's what's a bit different is it's it's less, you know, everybody pummel on and get it all, get it all on its very deep discount around Black Friday. Um, our, our communications are, you know, maybe it's a little, it's a bit less promotional around Black Friday, but you can also expect newness and excitement and more novelty between now and the end of the year, which typically, you know, our customer wouldn't get. So there's a reason to keep checking in. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the biggest yeah. change. For sure. Well, last question, 2022 around the corner. Uh, is this just stepping in and picking up on some five-year plan that was set in place? Are there new priorities based on all the events of the last year? Uh, what, what are your priorities? Um, our priorities are really to, to stay course. I mean, we have so many, I feel like we spent the last three years building the foundation of the house and the house is built, but it's not decorated. So we're just sort of you know, very much partnering as closely as we can with our um, very valued wholesale partners to deliver what they need when they need it. Um, and and definitely um, supporting our, we signed a, a tremendous partnership with um, American Exchange this summer to um, get back into the mass market space. So they're, they're working with us and we've created an amazing collection sort of in parallel with, with the existing line for TJ Maxx and the mass partners that okay. we have, um, which I'm very proud of. We'll carry some of the product on our own site. You know, it's, it's in full transparency. We're proud of it. It's aerosols. It's not a second label. Um, it's just trying to be extremely thoughtful about you know, types of manufacturing and, um, and whether it's, you know, EVA, light foam, sandals, things like that, that happen to price out in a place that makes them more accessible. So we're really proud of, I think, how we're approaching that. Um, it's very much not a traditional outlet strategy of, you know, just making your same shoes, but in lesser qualities. That is not a strategy we believe in. So we're very proud of the approach that we have and excited to bring that to a, a broader audience. Um, and certainly for me, um, starting to feel out retail again and figure out how we get back into stores and when we do that and, and how we do that in a way that really adds value to our, to our digital business. Um, so all good things. Excited to see the new aerosols, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. yes. <laughs> Alice, <laughs> look out. Allison, this is so fun. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful holiday. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.